0: to episode 27 of How We Win.
1: All over the country, ordinary people are doing extraordinary things. We're giving you the tools that you need to jump in and make a difference right now.
0: There are 242 days until the most important election of our lives. The best antidote to anxiety is action. 2020 is here, and we want you to join the party.
1: Today, we have a very special post Super Tuesday pod and are joined by former senior advisor to President Obama, co host of Pod Save America, and author of the great new book, Untrumping America, Dan Pfeiffer.
0: Yay! Dan's going to help us break down what we learned from Super Tuesday and talk about how you can help with his plan to win 2020 and untrump America.
1: I'm Steve Pearson. And I'm
0: Mariah Craven. And And this this is How We We Win. Win.
1: Dan, welcome. Thanks so much for being here. Well, thanks for having me. You've just been on the Super Tuesday tour now, nonstop. It hasn't even been 24 hours. Is it Wednesday yet? Is that where we are?
0: (laughs) So um, were you all surprised last night?
2: Oh, for sure. Like, Like, there was no question that since Biden's strong victory in South Carolina, the momentum has been behind it. But I think the assumption that i certainly had i think most people had was that bernie would exit super tuesday with a substantial if not insurmountable delegate lead right mm-hmm. because there were this was a map that very much favored him the very large states like california and texas where he was highly favored some midwestern states where he had done well like minnesota mm-hmm. colorado estate he did very well in Maine, a estate we thought he would win and so it seemed like this was his best chance to put the nomination, perhaps mathematically, away. And right. we're, not only did he not build an insurmountable lead, it seems, as although we're still counting a lot of votes in California, right. but that Biden is going to come out as the delegate leader after Super Tuesday, which I think you could have gotten great odds on if you had bet on just a few days ago.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, Monday night was kind of the the moment where it was like, oh, well, what's going on in Texas? Yeah,
1: everything changed. We had a bunch of candidates just dropping out, endorsing Biden. One narrative and I I would love your take on this, Dan, cuz one narrative that came out pretty quickly last night that I was not a fan of was um this notion that campaigns don't matter. Hmm. Right? Um people saying Virginia like doubled their vote totals from the previous year from previous election rather and he only had one campaign office there and he spent barely any money there so campaigns don't matter and, and
0: same with minnesota that i don't think he went to minnesota at right. all and like maybe had some hard to find campaign offices we not really it. a ground game there
1: we had it in texas too in north carolina but the the important thing that I take away from that is we've been organizing right. in these states for you know more than three years now, and uh, there's been teams on the ground. Maybe they weren't you know Biden mm-hmm. teams on the ground, mm-hmm. but uh, did I say O Biden? He would he would like I think, I think if the O was for Obama, I think he would embrace that if possible. I'm gonna to i I'm just gonna go with that. I'm yeah. gonna stick with the O Biden. Um, yeah, those teams weren't on the ground, but we've been organizing swing left groups, indivisible groups, sister district, you know, labor unions, um, Democrats in general have been organizing and staying there. And you talk about this a lot in your book about the importance of campaigning year round, that there's not off year elections. So, you know, what what's your take on that?
2: Yeah. So, like the take that you have mentioned is sort of in it's twofold, right? It is maybe nothing matters because Biden did not have a traditional campaign organization in these states and mm-hmm. won. And Bloomberg had huge organization and spent a ton of money in these states and did not win. Mm-hmm. And I think that, mis- as you point out, that misunderstands a lot of things, which is in the case of Bloomberg, money can't buy you everything, right? It can be a marketing campaign, but you have to have a product that. Voters want, mm-hmm. and Bloomberg was unable to deliver that.
1: Money can buy you an island in the Pacific, it, it,
2: American Samoa. Apparently, <laughs> it, can, it, can, it can buy you the delegates from American Samoa, uh, where Michael Bloomberg probably now has a house, um, right? Or several. The what I think it is very important to understand about what happened on Super Tuesday in terms of organization, or two things: one. None of the campaigns, even Biden – sorry, even Bernie and Bloomberg had true organization there because it's just – it was – Super Tuesday is too big. There are too many states. Mm-hmm. The uh, It came too close to South Carolina. It's just impossible to organize at scale from the campaign perspective. Right. And so the difference between what Bernie did and what Biden did is not as great as you would think. He had lots of offices, but he was not – this was not the sort of organization that we saw in 2018 that we will hopefully see in 2020 where you have people – working 24-7 for a year to organize the state. Hmm. The second thing is is that I think this is really important, and it's a credit to Swing Left and the other groups you mentioned, is people have been organized. And Virgi- the turnout in Virginia is directly related to all the work that was done in 2017, 2018, and 2019 right. in that state. And what Biden was able to do that has not been, I think, fully talked about, at least as of Wednesday morning in the takes on what happened, is he was able to bring to his side – the post 2016 organizer class of the Democratic Party—the people who, like he won in many of these states, people who sat out the 2016 primary—but mm-hmm. that really means it's the people who got engaged, the people who f- who have been a lot of the energy in swing left, people who got engaged after the 2016 election. And these are people who have volunteer lists, they have organizations that know they know how to turn out the vote and so he was able to turn that on very quickly. We should be very clear that momentum can help you in a large national primary, organization is what it takes to win a general election. So we're going to have if Biden is our nominee, he is going to have to have grassroots bottom up organization in all of the states we need to win and that has to, that process has to begin very quickly.
0: Mm-hmm. I'll also point out that Bernie had a pretty incredible ground game here in California. And we did see the we are seeing the results and the benefits mm-hmm. of that. And I think had those candidates not dropped out and endorsed Biden on Monday night, we might be talking about a completely different situation today. Oh a hundred percent. Yeah.
2: The winning way of the field made a huge difference. And that yeah. is that Bernie Sanders has 30 to 35% of the vote depending on state and mm-hmm. with real enthusiasm in that 30 to 35%. Mm-hmm. And that is a unstoppable coalition in a five-candidate race.
1: Right.
2: When it becomes essentially a two-candidate race, that gets a lot harder. Yeah. And he he did not get above, we'll still see what happens in uh, California, did not get above 35% anywhere in the country. Biden was able to get to to over 50 in some of these southern states. Mm-hmm. And so for Sanders to win, he's going to have to expand that coalition to get to a number that you can win. And what looks like, Bloomberg dropped out this morning, War- Elizabeth Warren's reassessing her campaign, but is if this is a two-person race for the rest of the primary, that means you have to get to 51, 50.1% to win. Mm-hmm.
0: And- you talked about how important it is to have a ground game like a year out. And as we said, at the top of this, we're 242 days out. (laughs) Do you think it's knowing that there, that was missing from some really important States so far? Do you think it's too late?
2: No, it's not too late. I think the, the, the infrastructure exists because of all the work that was done in 2000 for 2018, Mm -hmm. right? There are people who have been organizing, the folks in Swing Left up in the in Northern California where I live have yep. been organizing – been taking buses to state legislative districts in Arizona for a while now to mm-hmm. try to flip a, a seat there to help Mark Kelly, if he ends up being the nominee, mm-hmm. to uh, flip that state in the president. So all the work is happening. It just – what is going to be really critical, and this is very important, is for the nominee to – not try to supplant the work that is being done right now they have to fuse with it mm-hmm. right and traditionally what happens is a sort of and obama was a change in this obama had this organic organizing happening on his behalf before he got elected and then he built his campaign on top of that instead of knocking it out of the way and the hope is that biden and the democrats will use the resources that are in those states and work hand in hand with all of the grassroots groups and the grassroots organizers, whether they're national groups or local groups, to compete with what will be a huge financial and time advantage that Trump and the Republicans have.
1: Yeah. I think that's a really great point and and in your book you do a little rundown on what the actual Democratic Party is because people, you know, blame the DNC for stuff and all all these different things and you talk about the coalition of groups that makes up the power that we have in the Democratic Party. And uh it's been one thing personally really exciting to have come from swing left and now be uh, a delegate involved in the California Democratic Party and working to bridge those, um, should I say, factions? They're not really factions, but sometimes they act like mm. that, you know, um, so that we work together effectively. You know, can you talk a little bit about that? and Yeah, how important it is? There, there is,
2: in over the course of the history of the Democratic Party, there has often been this territorialism between the top down. Washington centric part of the party mm-hmm. and the and grassroots groups who operate outside of the party structure. And I do think one of the things that has been very encouraging to me since 2016 is that there's been more introspection and self-examination from much of the Washington based parts of the party about the need to work with the new groups and yeah. there's been less like not that everyone is perfect not that, that people don't bump heads but there's been less territorialism and in the states where it's really working well there are these organizing tables that include the swing left indivisible sister district labor unions um naacp mm-hmm. um the and, the and the state party and leaders from the state party and leader in political and when that is working when everyone's working together that that is the key to success. And the reason why that's important is we are going to be massively outspent by Trump and the Koch brothers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They have a massive head start on us. There is no world in which the DNC, however you define that term, the quote-unquote Democratic Party, is going to be able to raise enough money to compete with Trump. And so we are going to have to have a multilateral, many-stakeholder, grassroots coalition to win. Yeah. And the what is a real advantage of that is that's the sort of coalition that wins up and down the ballot. It's not a presidential yes. year or coalition. It's one where you're doing, you're having reverse coattails by organizing in these state legislative districts or um, congressional races where, that have never been competitive before, where Democrats haven't run a real campaign. And because even if you don't win in those districts, mm-hmm. you're increasing Democratic turnout in this longtime Republican district, in say Wisconsin. But that means more votes for the Democratic nominee out of that district than you never would have gotten before. And that does not happen if the if it's all a Washington-based, immediate, short-term, results-oriented approach. if it's long, if it's a process based on building long-term, state-based, progressive power, mm-hmm. then you will you will get that reverse coattails effect.
0: You have been um, a, a Washington, D.C. insider, and you've been <laughs> a on-the-ground door knocker. Mm-hmm. And um, in your opinion, is there an establishment, and are they rigging this process? Yeah.
2: There, If there is an establishment, I guess I would have to say that I have been a part of it for much of my career. I've worked in the White House. i worked mm-hmm. for the Senate Democratic leadership. I've worked for the party. And there is not – but that term seems to in, in like I don't I don't know I'm not entirely sure what the term means. Maybe it's for people who live in Washington and get invited to a certain set of, a certain set of parties. Mm-hmm. I don't really know. But the idea that the Democratic Party writ large could rig a kite, let alone an election, <laughs> is belied <laughs> by my experience. And like, what ha- like I think one of the more damaging narratives of last night is this view that the establishment sent a message to everyone to get behind Joe Biden. And there's just not that – that there's no entity that has that power. There is a handful of presidential candidates endorse Joe Biden, and that right. certainly had an impact. But what really happened, and the most important thing that happened, is African-American voters who had not been heard from yet in this primary mm-hmm. – Had a chance to have their voices heard and they started in South Carolina and they voted for by overwhelming margins. And Mm -hmm. then across a number of states they were turning up, Biden was getting two thirds of that vote. And I think it is very demeaning and diminishing to that community to say Mm -hmm. some establishment politician told them to support Biden. And that's just not something that happens. The the rules for the primary are imperfect. I think we could redesign how it goes, but they're mm-hmm. they are imperfect, not in service of one candidate or the other. Mm-hmm. Right. It is like the rules are the that we have are the ones that have been around for a long time and then reformed with the input of Bernie Sanders mm-hmm. in, in his team in 2016, after the 2016 election. And so it's playing itself out as it is. And I think there's nothing to suggest that it has been that anything untoward or inappropriate or anything like that has happened or that anyone other than voters in various states are offering their preference. And Mm -hmm. at least as of, at least on Super Tuesday, that benefited one candidate more than another.
1: Okay. Well, problem solved. Yeah, Thanks for clearing that up. I'm sure everyone will calm down now. we <laughs> we always uh, talk about reasons for hope. Mm. Um, that's what we like to highlight when we talk about newsy stuff. So I just want to read a couple of the takeaways, um, some number highlights from last night. 84% say they will vote for the eventual DIM nominee, according to an NBC poll. Okay. In Texas, more than 1 million DIMs voted early, surpra- surpassing uh, 16's early vote totals. Mm. In North Carolina, 500,000, uh, over 500,000 Dems voted early, breaking 2008 in all records in North Carolina. Mm. Uh, even before E-Day, Colorado Dems quintupled turnout with six six uh, hundred 683,000 returned Dem ballots compared to 549 GOP. So this is also a win for the caucus versus primary system, yep. which I'm sure you have uh, opinions to share yeah, about, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, as Colorado is now a primary. Up, yeah. um, it's also a great case for voting by mail. Um, massive turnout in Virginia. We talked about that a little bit earlier. More than 1.3 million people voted there, uh, blowing past previous totals. Uh, about 50% more people showed up in America Samoa to anoint Bloomberg the king of America Samoa. <laughs> um Democrats flipped a state house seat in Maine by 15 points. Way to go. Which uh, Susan Collins probably doesn't like the sound of. Mm-hmm. And uh, and as we all know, data shows that if you vote in primaries, you're likely to vote in the general. And turnout was great. So there's lots of reasons for hope there. I mean, what, what are some takeaways there for you, Dan, that, that stick out? Well, I think up until...
2: The South Carolina primary, the turnout picture for Democrats was concerning at best. Mm-hmm. Iowa was yeah. better than 2016, but not by as much as we thought. New Hampshire was better, but not great, and not a, and limited performance from first time voters um, okay. and younger voters. And so there, like it was, like if if the idea was we were going to win because Democrat, like. Democrats were so fired up after 2016. The first couple contests did not suggest that. That change started – and the Nevada caucus is sort of an imperfect thing to look at because it's a small turnout caucus, uh, which we can talk about why we shouldn't have those. But (laughs) the South Carolina primary was encouraging passing 08 turnout levels, which is very important. And then um, last night across the board, we saw very good turnout. And I think – like I've been – as you mentioned, I've been on – this book tour for a couple weeks now. I have talked to thousands of Democrats um, since over the course of that time. And I have felt, and hopefully last night changes it, sort of this democratic depression. Mm
1: -hmm. Like,
2: I think people have, you can see it in polls where, a few months ago, people thought Trump would likely lose, and now overwhelmingly, Democrats—at least as of before last night—thought Democrats were likely. Were thought it was very unlikely that we would beat Trump. Mm. That's our voters, right? I think the impeachment and all that. Yeah, really it's exactly—it's the impeachment. Primaries are unfun. You know, the candidate you love may not be doing as well as you yeah. would like. The yeah. candidate you love least may be doing better than you would like, and it's mm-hmm. just. You're fighting with your friends. They're yelling at each other on debate stages. And, yeah, I think impeachment was a huge thing, which is it felt like we did everything right. We made a case to the American people that Trump committed a crime. We convinced them of that. And Republicans just shoved it under a rug with seemingly without any fear of political accountability. Yeah. But I think the message from last night is the message from 2018, which is, Despite all of the advantages that Trump will have as an incumbent, this is a very winnable election. Mm-hmm. He won by 70,000 votes across three states. We can very easily do this if we do the work. Okay. And the, the, like. we know what that is. That is everything you guys are doing on Swing Left. It is knocking doors. It is recruiting volunteers. It's making phone calls. It's sending postcards. It's all those things to build the organization it's going to take. And like I, I see lots of reasons for hope. We should be clear. This is not a prediction that Democrats will win. We don't do those anymore in the Pot of America universe, but the but it is but it, if we think we can't win, we will not win. If we think we can win, we can win.
0: Um you just said Wait, did you just push. say yes we can?
2: <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's sort of like an updated 2020, uh less precise version of it, but yes.
0: Um you just mentioned postcards and made like a million people very happy. So. This is the thing that's very personal to me because my
2: sister-in-law, right after the 2016 election, um, they had a young child, like door knocking was like being able to take a lot of time to go canvas and make phone yeah. calls was not possible. So she started doing postcards uh-huh. and it was very meaningful to her. She's very much enjoyed it. I have talked to people everywhere I can about that as an option because we hear from a lot of people who either for time reasons or family reasons or feel uncomfortable with Door knocking and like we try I try we always at Ponti try to convince people to try to go canvassing because it's much easier yeah. and better than you think. Mm-hmm. But you can also, in addition to canvassing, do postcards. And I think you know, I whenever I go to a swing left event, uh I always run people who have written in <laughs> incredible number of postcards <laughs> just unbelievable i am shocked by it every
1: time there you know i've never received a postcard actually but i'm not i'm not the target but some one They're day like, one day guy. just for kicks someone's gonna send me a postcard yeah, move to
2: wisconsin and deregister and you will get a postcard <laughs> there you go exactly
1: and you know we're working also with vote forward swing left to yep. right letters which yep. are you know similar to Postcards, and in, in mm-hmm. which you can make them your own and, and tell your yeah. your story a little bit, um, but also using some social pressure yeah. language and some stuff that's that's really effective. So, anywhere you are, you can you can hit up one of these important states, and that actually is a great segue into our call to action for this week. We always have a call to action. Um, there was a great article, I don't know if, if you read it, you probably did, you read everything, um, from Amanda Lippman that was on BuzzFeed. Yep. It was kind of clickbaity, not a great title. but it's, you <laughs> It know, was on BuzzFeed. It was on BuzzFeed, <laughs> yeah. so that's the whole point. Exactly, fair enough. Um, what to do if you're a Democrat who hates the nominee. Um, but the, the gist of the article was if your nominee didn't make it through and you're not crazy about the person who is at the top of the ticket, still got to vote for them. Because we, you know, need to take back the presidency, but put that energy, that passion that you have, mm-hmm. the time you have to volunteer to a down ballot race, and, um, you know, you talk about this so much in in the book uh, about how we put uh, this sounds weird, I and mean, you say it sounds weird yeah. in the book too, too much weight on the presidency when we really need to be looking at local legislatures and these senate races, and we talk about the senate on our show all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so for this week's call to action, we want people to look at a Senate race. I'd, I'd like to look at Texas right now because of the, you know, blatant voter suppression that we saw come to fruition with, you know, one guy waiting for six hours to cast his vote. Mm-hmm. Where where are you looking, uh, not presidential, that, that you think we could really make an impact?
2: Well, it's only the Senate is a huge deal because the example that I give in the book is if we're at the inauguration in 2021, a Democrat is just one the White House, Republicans have the Senate. And if on the way home from that inauguration, a Supreme Court justice decided to take up fly fishing and retire from the Supreme Court, Mitch McConnell would hold that seat open for four to eight years. And so if we want to have any impact on the federal judiciary, we need the Senate. Mm -hmm. If we want to pass any law, any law that any Democrat cares about, we need the Senate. And it doesn't, like, we just have to be very clear that Mitch McConnell, his strategy for Barack Obama was defeat as many Obama initiatives as possible and put the failures at his doorstep. He, that is going to be that times a thousand for a Democratic president, whoever that is. And so the Senate is incredibly important. I am very interested in the North Carolina Senate seat. Mm. Cal Cunningham, who's a very impressive candidate, won the nomination. Yep. And he, North Carolina, the turnout in North Carolina was very good last night, mm-hmm. and it was, it was, and I think that is an encouraging sign. And it is – North Carolina can be, with the right focus and work and organizing, a state that fits the new post-Trump realignment model for Democrats, which it has an increasing – it has a large African-American community. It has a increasing uh, suburbs mm-hmm. and has a lot of young college students. Mm-hmm. And so those three things uh, let Obama win that state in 2008, which people forget – and mm. now there's been a lot of voter suppression since then to make that harder Yes. but the demographics have gotten better since then and the suburban republican vote has moved more what was then a suburban republican vote has become Democrat, a lot more democratic in the post trump era so we should i don't think we should sleep on that race in um no we have in to north get carolina yeah
1: and there's local legislatures there there's, yep. there's some seats we could flip to to get the majority there and draw some fair lines after the census as well in north carolina which yep. would be very key. What about you? What are you looking at, Mariah?
0: Um so here's what I'll say is five of the presidential candidates that I have been excited <laughs> about over the last year <laughs> have dropped out. Poof, they've gone poof on have, Rachel Maddow's ha- poof board or haven't <laughs> or haven't performed the way that that people had hoped. Um but I've been helping out with congressional races here in Southern California mm-hmm. and a supervisors race and um And all of those folks are doing really well. So last night didn't feel too bad for me because I was refreshing the county um, registrar looking at the numbers tick upwards. And I was like, oh, this feels great. So, um, yeah, you don't have to get that great feeling from um, a presidential candidate, uh, although it will feel really good to win in November. But there are so many other races to help out with. So I've got my eye on keeping the house.
2: I think one of the things that I have really become more attuned to since leaving the White House and since Trump won, and it's it's a major focus of why I wrote the book, is that pres- as important as the presidency is, a lot of presidential power is transient. A lot of it in a time of broken Congress, like you can pass very, very important laws, and the Affordable Care Act, uh, the Ledbetter Act, um, Wall Street Reform, all the things Obama did. Those. Remained today and have had great impact. But a lot of what you do is administrative. And after you leave, someone can come in with one pen and undo a lot of it. But sustainable, progressive political power happens at the state level. And if we like the thesis of the book is that democracy as we know it is rigged against. The progressive majority in this country. It is institutional mm-hmm. in the in the way the Senate Electoral College works, and it's also the subject of ruthless exploitation from Republicans like Mitch McConnell and the Koch brothers. That right. is voter suppression. That is gerrymandering. The only way you fix the, those things to make it more likely that more progressives will get elected is to win state and local elections, so that you can put in place You can get, not just get rid of voter suppression. You can put in place a voter expansion effort. Mm-hmm. It's not just get rid of gerrymandering but you can put in fair maps that better reflect the majorities in those states and if that is the everything else we talk about in this presidential campaign whether it's medicare for all medicare for some medicare for one additional person in the country <laughs> depends on doing those things and right. the other element of it that's so important with these local races is real policy impact in people's lives right like it, as like the most obvious case is medicaid expansion if you live in a state that expanded medicaid part, as, after the passage of the ACA you have better health care, more people are insured fewer people are dying from lack of treatment if you don't your life is much worse but same thing with guns same thing and background checks and assault weapon bans same thing with minimum wage mm-hmm. and uh, like we, we should think very carefully about we have a supreme court that is looking at how at how and when to potentially overturn roe v wade Right. and if you in a, if democrats control power at the state level We can pass laws to protect the citizens in those states from some of the most adverse consequences of that ruling. And so we like we can just we have to I think someone come. We've tried to do this in America. I've tried to do this book is you guys do it all the time is remind people about where the impact is and the importance of these races, because. If we continue to only care about politics every four years, mm-hmm. we're always going to be in a place where Mitch McConnell, the Koch
1: brothers decide the policy
2: agenda of America.
1: And those local legislatures, of course, pay dividends up the ballot, like right. a little bit of money, a little bit of volunteer energy goes a long way on those local races. But also people don't always go down ballot on races, right. but they do vote up ballot usually.
0: Yep. Yeah. Um, the book is really helpful in laying out like the, <laughs> like how we got to the place that we are. <laughs> (laughs) Um, and why Trump, you know, maybe was the, I guess, canary in the coal mine, Mm. but didn't cause all of this. Um, And so it's very big picture, but you also throughout the book have easy ways for people to get involved, which I think is really important.
2: Right. I I wrote the book. People ask me all the time, like, who did I write it for? Mm -hmm. And usually it's like a gotcha question from a reporter like, did you write this for my Republican uncle? And the answer is no. I've, like I've Someone else can try to persuade them. That is their job. I wrote this book for Democrats, mm-hmm. Democratic politicians, Democratic leaders, Democratic voters. But really, I think the people I thought about the whole time I was writing the book were the activists I've met since 2016. Mm-hmm. And thinking about... like The thing they always ask us at any Pots of America show or any book signing I've done is... What can we do? Right, right. And I want to try to, to connect the things that need to get done with the actions that average everyday people in their lives can take, and remind people that they have agency in all of these things. Mm-hmm. It's not just electing a politician; it is electing a politician, holding them accountable to do the things you would like them to do. Yes, mm-hmm. and I think that is so important. So, with each section in this book, I try I laid out a like a what you can do, what you, the reader, can do. If you are not the chair of the DNC or the right. leader of the Senate. Or the manager of a presidential campaign, what can you specifically do? Like, what groups can you support? How can you use the agency you have to make an impact on politics to move this country in a more democratic direction? That is Democratic big D and Democrat small D. Mm-hmm. I love that. And
1: I did actually feel that the book was written for me. So thank Good. you. Yes. I'm, I'm class of November 2016. <laughs> and, um, uh, I read your first book too. Uh, I love the cover of both of your books. I love the image of Obama dunking on, on Trump. So. One
2: one day I will. I, I don't think my publisher will let me. But that was version like seven hundred of the cover. It Took us a long time to get to that one. Um, I bet. But yeah, I mean that was that that is also one of the things you. If you put a picture of Barack Obama dunking on Donald Trump, you're making it very clear who the book is for,
1: <laughs> right? Yes. And you have all of, all of my favorite hated people on the cover. Of it was, too.
2: yes, the cover for those who haven't seen it is an eraser erasing Donald Trump, Mitch McConnell, Brett Kavanaugh, and Sean Hannity. I will say... Given the rogues gallery of people in Republican politics these days, it was actually hard to get to a list of four. Only four people really fit on the cover. <laughs> Lindsey Graham didn't make it. Uh, Tucker Carlson didn't make it. Sure, mm. sure. Yeah, there could have been any number of. Uh, it's a solid. Devin Nunes. Yeah, this yeah, is. A, I think yeah, this is the really four horse- solid four. <laughs> this is the four horsemen of the apocalypse, in my view. <laughs> so, um,
1: so how do we erase them? What? What? I mean, uh, we want people to read your book, so don't tell the whole thing. But you know, what's what's the general plan?
2: I think. First, Democrats have to recognize that Donald Trump did not break our democracy. We have Donald Trump because we have a broken democracy. Mm -hmm. And while – don't get me wrong. I think there is nothing more important than beating him in 2020. Beating him in 2020 is not enough. Mm -hmm. And what the key – what I think Democrats have to do, and this is what motivated me to write the book, is – We have to take on the structural impediments to progressive power in this country. We have to recognize that we are currently living in a world. And it's so it's like this is one of the reasons why 2016 was so mind-boggling to Democrats, which is our policies are more popular. The our previous president was incredibly popular, left the country in very good stead. We there were more Democrats, yet we lost an election and we can't pass the policies we believe, Mm -hmm. believe it. And so how did that happen? The way that happened is it's the product of a very specific plan from the Republican Party. And we have to undo what they have done. We have to make fixing our political institutions, we have to make democratic reform the center of what the party is doing. Because everything else comes afterwards. And as I was thinking about when I was writing the book, all the debates are happening, right? And we're having this debate about Medicare for all. And it's a I think it's a very it was incredibly substantive, sometimes eyes glazingly so, but it is <laughs> quite substantive. But it ultimate Felt a little bit to me like we were whistling past the graveyard mm. because the question is not which Medicare for all plan we're going to pass, it's how we're going to pass any healthcare plan, right. and that requires fixing our politics and and Democrats themselves becoming more comfortable with political power and understanding it, how to acquire it and how to hold on to it, and that does not mean becoming Mitch McConnell mm-hmm. or being what I refer to as Trump as the paler shade of orange. Mm. It requires thinking strategically about politics and in poli- the best way. Democrats have a, ma- progressives have a majority in this country. So we have to have political institutions that allow the voices of that majority to be heard. Mm-hmm. And so that like, that has to be priority number one and then we can fix the other stuff. But like the theory of change here is fix the democracy, make America more democratic, small d, so that the all of the – not just the people who want to participate in our process, but the 40 percent of Americans who stay out of the process mm-hmm. can get engaged. And if that happens, then we can have actual progressive policies that reflect the country if we do not. And I think this is more dangerous than people think about it because they think once Trump leaves, we'll go back to normal, is right now we are a country with a growing – diverse, younger, progressive majority mm-hmm. that is being governed by a shrinking, conservative, mostly white minority. And that is not a sustainable situation, because whether Trump wins or loses in this election, he's almost certainly going to lose the popular vote mm-hmm. again. It could sure. be a very long time, and possibly by more than right. he lost it last time. Yeah. And if we continually operate in a world where the person who gets fewer votes becomes president, where despite... <laughs> Democrats doing everything else, Mitch McConnell decides what laws are passed, right. where even if we do everything else, even if we do everything right, we win the White House. We win these up and down the ballot. We put we put in place some of the reforms I talk about here. We are allowed to have a Supreme Court that is was appointed by a, by a president who got 3 million less votes and was impeached, deciding American jurisprudence for the next thir- de- several decades mm-hmm. – Is very scary, and the the thing that really has focused me on the court a lot is after we we were doing some pot, we were doing some pre election shows when for POTUS America when Kavanaugh was being confirmed, Mm -hmm. and so I did a little math exercise to figure out like how bad this was going to be because Kavanaugh, the next two oldest justices are Clinton appointees Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Stephen Mm -hmm. Breyer, Mm -hmm. so the shifting of the court is something that like this is the court we're going to have absent. Aggressive action from Democrats I talk about in the book is when Brett Kavanaugh is Ruth Bader Ginsburg age today. My daughter will be 32. Mm. She turns two in May. Mm. So 30 years after Donald Trump is gone, Brett Kavanaugh could potentially be the deciding vote on all things that the progressive majority of the country cares about. And those are led
1: with that and then gone with reasons for hope. (laughs) Well, I mean,
2: the thing like I'll give you reasons for hope on that one is the Supreme of all the things we talk about. The Supreme Court is actually one of the easiest ones to fix. You only need 50 votes in the Senate, Mm -hmm. a passage of the House, and a presidential signature. There is no word that says there. The word nine is nowhere in the Constitution when it comes to the Supreme Court. We've changed the number of the Supreme Court many times in the past. We once changed it like six times in a 30-year period. And we once changed it specifically when Andrew Johnson was impeached but not removed. The Congress reduced the number of justices to prevent him from appointing justices – and then when he was gone, they moved the number back up again, mm-hmm. which seems like a relevant historical example we could apply today. Okay. So these th- there, are, there are things that can absolutely be done to take on these these impediments. Some of them are very hard and take time. Mm-hmm. Some of them can be done in the first week that a Democratic president with a Democratic Senate is in office. But we just have to will, have to have the will to do it.
1: Why do you think that doesn't resonate as strongly as it should with Democrats? Because it sure resonates with Republicans. It seems to be why they do everything they do, because they recognize the power. I mean, I I believe today the Supreme Court is uh, starting to hear a case that will affect uh, abortion rights. Some really scary stuff um, that that we should be up in arms and really aware of. But it doesn't seem to be something on Democrats' minds. I think it has not been to date. I think it could be now. Mm.
2: I think, but Democrats have to make the case, right? You lose a thousand, you lose hundred percent of the arguments you don't make, mm. and we have not made the case on this. That's a Wayne and Gretzky. Crit, it is. I, s- I stole it from <laughs> Wayne Gretzky. Did it first. Kobe Bryant, I think, stole it from Wayne Gretzky, and I've stolen it from both of them. Um, I like it. It works. <laughs> yes yeah, so I just changed it a little bit, so it's not plagiarism. But that is the argument. It, we haven't made the argument. We have to make it, and I actually think that beginning more aggressive in our, in our court proposals will make it more likely the Democrats will focus on the court, which me, will mean more turnout in non-presidential off-year elections when the Senate is up for grabs.
0: Okay. So, I mean, we have our work cut out for us.
2: Yeah, we got a lot to do. Yeah, No doubt.
0: Yeah. Where should we focus right now?
2: I think it is exactly what people have been doing, which is we know the states are going to matter. We know what has to be done in those states, and it's building on the work that was done in 2018, Mm -hmm. right? Like, this primary is going to continue for some period of time. Right, Bernie Sanders or Joe Biden is almost certainly going to be one of our nominees, I think if you care passionately about one of those two people, then organize for them, donate to them, work for them, campaign for them. If you are fine with either one, focus on a down-ballot race, a Senate race, adopt a state, whatever it is. And remember that whoever the nominee is, is one gazillion times better than Trump. Mm -hmm. Then we got to unify the party, and every... And there's a lot of organizing that can be done before we know who our nominee is. Right. It is all about cleaning those lists, knocking those doors, updating our data, recruiting volunteers, and and that that is that will help us win the presidency, that'll help us win the Senate ascendancy, that'll help us hold the house, which is something as we sit here in California, we cannot forget, which is it took a ton of organizing and work. Swing left was at the forefront of this, to get to win those seven House seats that mm-hmm. were so critical to the majority, we're gonna to have to hold those. Right. Republicans are already spending money in some of them. Yes. Um, they're coming directly after Josh Harder up mm-hmm. in Northern California. And we, yes, people should get on buses and go to Arizona and Nevada and wherever else. But don't forget uh, if you're in California, don't forget the, state, the races you have at home here, too.
1: Mm-hmm. One thing you just mentioned, cleaning the list, just for people who don't know what that is, especially when we're phone banking, that's something that we get a lot of wrong numbers and a lot of moved and, and incorrect information. Or maybe we've called a Republican where we thought we were calling a dim. That's the key work that, that phone banking also really does to uh, make sure that the door knocks that we do are more effective because we're, we're cleaning the list to go to, more, uh, yep. to better houses. And that's
2: such an important thing because a lot of people will come back from canvassing and be very frustrated because they didn't get to talk to any voters or the numbers are wrong. That's actually going to – getting someone to answer the door and having turning out that the person you think lives there does not live there is a huge uh, benefit to the campaign because that means no one's going to knock that door again. And one of the – you used the term canary in the coal mine. One of the canaries in the coal mine of 2016 was my wife, who field organizer by trade uh, helped organize uh, North Carolina for Barack Obama in 2008 – uh, before she went to work in government, and we always she always brings me canvassing with her every election. She makes us go separately. She, she brings me <laughs> there, but she makes us go separately because I slow her down. Um, and she thinks oh. I'm not very good at it. We um, stay in the same areas. We, yeah, we stay in the same area. And she does like or... we do opposite sides of the street. <laughs> right. She like crushes her street, then comes around and like finishes my doors. Really <laughs> right. But we were in Las Vegas, and she was deeply concerned about that because we were in Vegas. 10 days out from the election, I think. Mm-hmm. Deeply concerned by the number of wrong numbers we were getting, wrong houses right. we were seeing 10 yeah. days out, right? Like, we're in the middle of early vote, and there had not been the work months out to clean that list. Like, yeah. that is what's happening in – is that all the door knocking that's happening now is clean this list. And I will say when we went canvassing for Josh Harder in Modesto, Swing Left had been through there, like, <laughs> 85 times and so the yeah. list was we were there the weekend before the election. the list was perfect. right And that that's where that work is so helpful because every the precision the use the precision and use of resources in a targeted way in the last few days of the campaign is so critical.
0: Um, your book has one of my favorite tips for canvassing mm. that I share with people a lot, which is if you have access to a baby or patient <laughs> child, <laughs> take them canvassing with you because people are more likely to open their door yeah. and talk to you. <laughs> um, do you have anything that you picked up from your wife that you can share with people? Any or your else? own, too. I'm not going to give her all the glory. <laughs> she <laughs> sounds awesome. Yeah, but she, She's
2: much better at it than I am. I mean, she she moves quickly. She um, like sort of maps out her doors in advance to know exactly what the most efficient way to do it is. Um, she often, like a... Mid-morning time is the best okay. um, she believes. but the kid, like we we brought our daughter with us because we had no one else to watch her and she also did her best sleeping. So she was about five months, six months old on election around the election time in 2018 and she did her best sleeping on the move. Mm-hmm. So we were gonna be walking with her in a stroller or a front pack. Under all scenarios, right. so we thought we would just knock doors while we did it. And it was, it was very effective, and we got in some plate. We got some people who opened the door who might not otherwise have done it. And right. uh, our daughter made her contribution to Democrats taking the house back. Yeah,
1: you know, it's a great tip. And <laughs> when I first got into this work, and I was do, I was staging a lot of canvases, yep. right. Um, I was whenever I saw someone bring kids I'm like, mm-hmm. "Oh god, we got to get through this training yeah. and they're going to be disruptive and yeah. all that." And I was 100% wrong yeah. about that because first of all, they bring this great energy. It's awesome to be part of a campaign too and to yeah. bring your kids with you. I did it with my daughter just last Sunday. I went out canvassing with some friends for, you know, a candidate that <laughs> does not look like they're going to make it through, but they brought their kids and they were in, and the kids were jumping in and talking to the people at the door and everything. It was really great we had great conversations but also it was just so wonderful and empowering to share that with your family and, and be part of which i always say it goes beyond civic duty right now it's you know something that we all need to jump into yeah. but yeah that's yeah, a great too the uh
2: the advice uh my like my wife's motto for 2020 is we have to be uncomfortable mm. right which is like this is so important that it, this is not just Canvas because we're in Vegas or we happen to be this place, mm-hmm. but it's like we have to get out of our comfort zone and do things that are uncomfortable and inconvenient because like that's how we know that we're going that extra mile to do what it's going to take because this is not a normal election. And we know from 2016 what happens when everyone decides to care just enough Care a lot, but not enough to be inconvenient. So we should care enough to be inconvenient this time.
1: I I gave you a hard time about uh, stealing Wayne Gretzky's Gretzky's quote, which <laughs> yeah. I can never say his name anyway. Right. I was up in uh, your neck of the woods mm. for Rock the Congress like oh, few yeah. years ago. Yeah, I've been, to, I've been to Rock the Congress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was I was huh. doing a coalition building workshop there, um, and you said something from the stage, which I'd heard you say before uh, a number of times. After that, that campaigns always say this is the most important election of our lives. This is really the most important election of our lives. Now it's this one, which yeah. really is the most important election of our lives, and it's how we lead off our podcast too. So I stole that from you. That's it. No, so take enough.
2: it. I'm, I'm sure I stole it from <laughs> someone else. So there's there no original ideas left.
1: But it's it's really really true. And um, what parting bits of advice or hope do you have for um, people who I, are just I, getting involved? I just want people to recognize
2: that we can win this election. We know how to do it. It's not complicated. The lesson of 2018 is not the Democrats had some great message or we focus on healthcare. although all that's true. It's that the people who got engaged in politics after 2016, the ones who marched on the mall at the women's March, who went to airports after the Muslim ban, who marched for our lives after Parkland, that all those people did the hard work of citizenship. And if we can take that lesson from 2018, apply it to 2020 and then keep it going after that. I think we could look back on this period and note the grand historical irony that the election of our worst citizen sparked a wave of citizenship in this country because Mm. the thing Barack Obama always says that I think we perhaps forgot in 2016 is that citizenship is a full-time job. Mm. We don't get to take it off, even after we beat Trump. That's a big part of this book. Even after we beat Trump, got to keep working because there's real work to do. but But if we do that, we can and will win.
0: Well, thank you for the hopefulness and the roadmap and the the marching orders. Really helpful.
1: Well, thank you for everything you guys are doing.
2: Uh, <laughs> it's, it's so important the work swing left has done.
1: Well, and Pate of America has been an amazing partner and and helping amplify it. So thank you for everything you do. Thank everybody. everybody. <laughs> yeah, thank, th- thank the world. Yes, <laughs>
2: not you, Donald Trump. You're not thanked. No.
0: Worst citizen. That's a good
2: I stole that from John Lovett. I'm gonna be very clear because he will. He did like Wayne Gretzky may not care. I may not care too much But John Lovett, John Lovett, will, Lovett will, will definitely care. Yeah, he's probably. He's probably getting a trademarked
1: as we speak. Well, he's not gonna hear this. Anymore, yeah. so. He's too busy. If, if he
2: hears his name was was mentioned, he will hear it. <laughs>
1: All right. I'll tag him. Uh, thanks,
2: Dan. Yeah, thank you, guys.
0: joining us today and thanks for stepping up and taking action this is how we win we win when we all get involved and our work has to be already underway
1: that's right it has to have started (laughs) it
0: has to have started
1: we want to hear from you uh email us at podcast at swingleft.org and follow us on twitter mariah's
0: at mariah underscore craven
1: and i'm at blues boy steve
0: thanks to everyone who subscribed rated reviewed thanks to our friends at dimcast if you haven't yet please subscribe on apple or wherever you get your pods share on social media and use the hashtag how we win 2020 check out our page at swingleftorg slash podcast and of course sign up and volunteer
1: we really appreciate you being here with us we're excited to bring you more from the field next wednesday